Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Real Pro Podcast. I am your host, Mark Salcedo. Alongside me, I have my co-host, Kelsey Loizel. Hi, Kelsey. Hi. How you doing? Sad. Sad. Why? Because of one of our movies that we're going to talk about. It's sad, but still good. It's it's good. It's very good. Good sad. Uh, so yeah, we're back from uh, about a week or two. Uh, we had some problems the last episode, so that's why we weren't able to record. But <laughs> all I can do is just think about that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> fuck. I know that long ass weekend. We'll probably talk about it on on uh, this week's episode. Um, let's go ahead and get through a few things. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Real Appeal, The Real Appeal, Twitter, Appeal Real, Instagram, The Real Appeal, and uh, Gmail at therealappeal.com. Uh, go ahead and give us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, it helps get notice, gets those downloads. You know, we like doing this for fun, uh, but we like to spread the word, especially our opinions. Because a bird is a word. Because a bird is a word. Bird, 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 bird. Bird is a word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for this week's episode, uh, we are going to be talking about the news, which is a lot of what's been going on. Uh, our recent review is Jojo Rabbit, the newest film from Takawatiti. Uh, we got a discussion and a recommendation section for a try this, not that. Yep. And our geriatric cinematic is top secret. Yes. The uh, zany comedy. It's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, I won't tell you my opinion of it just yet, but Mark was very surprised. Very. Very. Very surprised. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's go ahead and get into the news. Uh, so we got our cat. We we have found our Catwoman uh, for Matt Reeves, the Batman. Uh, Catwoman we play by actress uh, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Zoe Kravitz of Big Little Lies and a few other movies. Um, she has been cast as Catwoman Selena Kyle. Uh, this guy kind of goes off the news that Jeffrey Wright isn't talked to be Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Jonah Hill had dropped out of uh, doing the film, the Batman film. As the Riddler. Yeah, as the Riddler, which Paul Dano of uh, Swiss Army Man, uh, There Will Be Blood, a few, uh, quite a few other independent films, Little Miss Sunshine. He will be playing the Riddler, which I think is a really, really great choice. Um, what also came on the heels of that news was... Uh, a little bit of uh, information about Zoe Kravitz not being uh, Catwoman and Christopher Nolan films. Because she was deemed as too urban. Too urban to play Selena Kyle. You know, she would have came in being like, yo, Batman, what's going on? Get these diamonds and shit. No, she, what, she's not even, she is not. She's not that urban, but like, that girl is not, I mean. She, I think she could be refined. Yeah, she can be refined. She can also play too urban if she needs to be, but that girl is not too urban. What, what the fuck does that, does that even mean? That means I'm racist and I don't want to tell you that. So I'm <laughs> yeah. going to tell you you're too urban. Yeah, you're a little too black. And you role. figure it out. Yeah, and the funny thing is uh, it was a small role. She was actually going to play uh, the character that Juno Temple took over who uh, was the friend of Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. I barely remember Juno Temple in that movie. I think she has like two scenes or something. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, so yeah, that was 
pretty stupid. <sighs> uh, another part of uh, the news. I'll go ahead and talk about this one because this one's really close to me. And Kelsey's going to bring in after this. Uh, John Cho, actor John Cho, who was on the set of uh, who's on the set of Cowboy Bebop to play the character Spike Spiegel, uh, was injured and forced is forcing the production to a halt for about seven to nine months. Mm. Uh, the way how it goes is it was like a freak accident. It was a knee injury, um, something that they had practiced over and over. They were on the final take, and it is, I guess, something. It has been bad. Um, it's required Cho to uh, get surgery on it and to do some rehabilitation for it, which I'm a little pissed off because. I can't wait to fucking see this series. <laughs> I can't wait to see this But show. you can be glad that they decided not to recast him because oh, normally yeah. they just do that. Mm-hmm. And they're so committed to him being in that role. Yeah. And apparently he's super happy about it too because what did he post as his picture to go along oh, with the news? Oh, <laughs> oh. He posted a picture on his Instagram. of it uh, for, for those who are not in the initiated into the Cowboy Bebop world... It's a picture of his belt buckle with uh, like a tan uh, collared shirt and you see blue pants. But those are like the signature colors of Spike Spiegel. So they're going for like accuracy in mm. the show. So obviously, obviously, I popped just <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that shit. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it sucks that the production is on hold for like seven to nine months. But I mean, at least Netflix is given time to like him to re to heal up, yeah. um, and to and they're still uh, they're still keen to get it done. Exactly. So I'm stoked on that. So. Yeah. What kind of news you got to talk about, Kelsey? Well, you know, <laughs> every time you ask me that, uh-huh. my thing scrolls all the way down to the bottom of the page. <laughs> <laughs> it's like queued up to do that. Like Mark's talking. Scroll down. Scroll down. Scroll Woo! down. Um. Netflix reopening. Are we doing that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix uh, reopening New York's Paris Theater for Marriage Story and maybe more Oscar contenders. So um, I guess Netflix is hoping to turn the Paris into a long-term lease as they try to find a home, mm-hmm. right? Because it's I guess it's obviously hard to become an Oscar ten- contender if you're... Your film's thing- not in the theaters, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, and I'll talk about that in a second. Mm. Um, but they were also being. Uh... <laughs> what, what's funny? The table. Yeah, the sorry. Click, that, click. Yeah, that, that clicking noise is like the table that we're working on. We're sorry about that. But please go, go on. Um, let's see. They announced six initial theaters in New York and LA, and will show Noah Baumbach's acclaimed marriage story there. Mm. Um, they're also talking about acquiring the Egyptian shit. Egyptian shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Egyptian shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Egyptian theater in LA, which we go to for Beyond Fest. And, and uh, like special screenings and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. We, we really like that theater a lot. Yeah, that theater's been around since like... I think maybe since like the 40s or 50s or something like that. Mm -hmm. Very old school theater. It's like what, one screen. Um, But it's a big room. Yeah, it's a huge room. But like, it's it's beautiful. It's it's a it's a Hollywood landmark. Um, 
it's it's interesting. I I like the fact that they are planning on turning, uh, planning to have a long term release at the Paris Theater in New York, which um, had been in New York for like seven decades and just recently closed. Um, the it, the theater was was going to be turned into like re- a retailer store. Oh, which would have broke my heart because. Uh, for people who are out here in California or out in LA, there are a series of theaters uh, in off of Broadway, and these theaters were like the big thing during the er, the early age of um, cinema. You know, now, like the forties and fifties. Yeah, and now they are retail stores. I think one's like an Urban Outfitter now. Yeah, and they're like jewelry stores, and it kind of like breaks my heart every time I like drive. Or they're by just the... closed and empty. Yeah, with homeless exactly. people like defacing them. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm I'm pretty happy about this. Yeah, what I don't like mm. is that in order for Netflix to be a contender, they have to show their stuff on the big screen. Yeah, that's that's one of the rules of um, of of competing in an Oscar in an Oscar race. Your film has to be in the theater for like a number. of weeks or maybe like a month or something like that i think that's kind of ridiculous because it's that doesn't go with the times anymore yeah that's that's very it is very old school um i i a lot of people they don't even go to the movies anymore because they don't want to deal with that crowd and they don't want to deal how the prices and like how much concessions cost yeah which kind of goes into what edward norton said right yeah. Um, Edward Norton was saying that Spielberg is wrong because Spielberg said that Netflix is destroying movies and Edward Norton is saying, no, it's the theaters. I think it's funny that Spielberg said this, like streaming services, Netflix and streaming services are killing movie theaters, but he has a couple of things in production with Apple TV. Yeah. Like, <laughs> cool. So also Spielberg, you're also killing movies <laughs> come on movies are so good yeah but you know he's putting them on netflix so he's part of the problem yeah, yeah or not right. netflix apple tv yeah right um in an interview with the daily beast i guess uh norton was telling nick shazer i don't mm. know how to say his name uh that it's the theater chains that are destroying the theatrical experience period full stop no one else um that's norton said that i don't know if i said it was norton but it was norton not spielberg yeah um let's see okay so he had a lot of good points to bring up and he said that uh, more than 60 percent of american theaters are running the projector at almost half the luminosity that they're required by contract to run at run it at Uh, they're also delivering crappy sound in a dim picture and no one is calling them on it um I can kind of con- uh, attest to that because mm. we went to see Aladdin mm. and the new one. And there's a scene where they're being chased by a serpent. And yeah. it's almost like shaky cam. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't understand what's going on at all. Yeah, like it was too blurred. And I don't, we don't know if it's really because of the way how they shot it or just the way the frame rate couldn't keep up what was what was coming up on screen right i like i think that it probably looks way better to them when they're making it on whatever technology they have than it looks in theater and i don't think they realize that's how it's gonna be yeah um 
that goes with what what happened with uh, Ang Lee and uh, his latest film Gemini Man. Um, it was he made it specifically to for like 4K at I think 120 FPS, mm-hmm. and there's no theater in America that. Can show the movie the way how Ang Lee intended it to be shown, which loses its quality. And I, th- I think the well, we were saying the frame rate, um, the FPS for theaters is what maybe like sixty or something like that. Yeah, like that's that's the highest as they go. So I mean, there's there's a bit of validation to what um, what Edward Norton has to say. Yeah, and so he's saying um, if movie theaters were delivering what they're supposed to be delivering, people would be going, "Wow, this isn't this is amazing! I do not get this at home." Well, and then he said, "Well, I want people to literally walk into their theater and find the manager and say, if this looks dark, you're giving me my money back because I'm paying, and at the ArcLight, I'm paying premium for premium experience." Exactly, and um, I, I think I don't remember if you came with me to see Dunkirk. I did. Uh, no, saw, I, you it was you came with me when I saw it like a second time, right? I think I came both times. Um, yeah, uh, we watched it twice. You know, oh yeah, you know what? We watched it twice, but it was actually my because I remember we, I don't remember if you were there or if I was by myself, but I went to see Dunkirk and the audio was off. Like, no, I was with you that time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the audio was off, right? And. Like it, it, we were starting to think like uh, if it's off by a little bit, we're just like no, we, we you know we're thinking like we're we must be crazy. We're probably whatever. Mm-hmm. And as the movie progressed, it got worse and worse and worse to the point where like we're hearing dialogue almost like two minutes into the future. Yeah. And when we came, you know, uh, I remember I went to the back to complain, and a couple other people, and the theater girls were just the the theater owners or whatever were just like, yeah, we can't fix it. Like the movie's just gonna have to play out. Like. I, what <laughs> you know and so we just got a refund we're like fuck it we got a refund went back and watched it another time yeah i think it has to go with training too they don't really train people for that stuff yeah um which i know you in particular would kill to have a job like that and be trained properly yeah i wouldn't mind i've unfortunately i've never worked in a the theater surprisingly i've never worked in a movie theater well there's a difference between being a floor cleaner and a projector specialist yeah, I know that's an art form. I know that's just a fucking art form. Yeah. Um, I really think that they should make... I mean, if you're going to make a film and you're going to put it in theaters, mm. it's not just the theater's fault. It's also the movie maker's fault because you know this about the theaters mm-hmm. and you are also are not holding them accountable for the quality of uh, that they're showing them at. Yeah. Um, and you're also making it so that you see it beautifully when you're editing it or whatever, but um, you kind of essentially wipe your hands clean of it once it leaves your hands and goes to the theaters. Yeah, like oh, I'm done. My movie's complete. Like no, nah, like they should be. I don't know. If, I don't know the the details and contracts of when the movies release or the studios, but probably should be some type of clause where like this film should be shown at its highest quality. You know, or these theater chains chains they are making they're essentially making i mean they're making this money from the concession stands i mean the prices is fucking ridiculous for popcorn it costs just as much for concessions as it does for tickets and probably even more so well like every time i spend like i don't know 25 dollars for two like two tickets to get into the theater yeah. i'm paying just as much money in snacks for two people 
Yeah. So it's a, it's fifty dollars. Yeah, exactly. So like they're not taking the money and being like, yeah, they they're making the cheese the seats comfortable, cool, but I mean, put that towards like a, proje- a projection, one that's of better quality. Yeah. You know, to show the film of of great quality because you want to see it. people are paying to see it because they want to see a realistic experience, and they can't get that when. The fucking frame is out of focus, and they can't fucking fix it. It would be interesting to see how what the what's the quality like in a like a four D, a four K. No, they have those ones where it's like you can feel the seats and smell smells and different things. Oh, four D. Yeah. Um, I've heard stories about it gets kind of ridiculous. Does it? Yeah. Um, Peter Serena from uh, Slash Film Daily. Uh, <laughs> talked about his, his experience watching the last Transformer film and how like the seats were shaking and everything, <laughs> but it, it made it sound like a nightmare because like his soda was getting all over the place and popcorn was jumping everywhere, and like somebody got stabbed, so he felt like a prick in his back. Ew, <laughs> really? Yeah, not like a not like an actual like prick, but like someone was like jabbing something into his back. Ow. Yeah, it was. It sounded it sounded horrible it sounded horrendous like i don't want to fucking feel someone stab me in the back just show me a fucking good movie i could see like some of the rumbling and stuff but mm. i don't know about getting fucking stabbed like shit yeah and i think like they even like had uh mist where like water was splashing you feel like mist or something like that yeah i don't like that because i'm like fucking water thrown at me if I'm, I'm not a i would be shower. okay with it but i just kind of feel like that just that's like bacterial. Like that's how you get flesh eating disease. <laughs> I got a flesh eating disease uh, <laughs> on my face. <laughs> Watch the transformer, which is better than the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, Ebernard has some good points about, and I'm glad like somebody of his caliber is actually like, "Yo, theaters are fucking shit up." Because this has been an argument going on for it seems like a decade now. This yeah. argument's been going on back and forth between filmmakers and moviegoers. And we have to go because that's kind of what we do. Yeah, I still like the theater going experience. Yeah. It's still amazing. Um, uh, when we get into the review for Jojo Rabbit, we got to see it at the ArcLight in Hollywood in the Dome Theater. And Which pro- we've never been in. Yeah, I've been going to ArcLight for years and I've never been in that theater. But holy shit, it was amazing just to be in the Dome and just to see it in that presentation it was still fucking awesome yeah you know and that's 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 not intended to be a theater growing experience but it felt like a theater growing experience yeah so that was that was great yes uh so yeah that's gonna be it for, it for our new discussion if you guys are wondering you know what's our take on the whole scorsese and coppola thing don't don't worry we'll get to that we're don't gonna worry. get into it we got a segment on the side <laughs> for that one uh but as of uh, before we get into that, we're gonna go ahead and jump into our review of Taka Watiti's latest film, Jojo Rabbit. Here's Master Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today, you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, ah! ambush techniques, zim blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Was? Of course you can. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. Kids, it's time to burn some books. You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. And that was Jojo Rabbit. I just like saying that, Jojo Rabbit. I know, it goes, it goes, uh, flows off the tongue. Yeah. 
Uh, Jojo Rabbit, directed by Takawa Titi. Uh, it. Uh, it's written and directed by Taco Watiti. Taco Watiti behind, I just like saying his name too. Uh, the man behind Thor Ragnarok, Home for the Wilder People, What We Do in the Shadows, Eagle vs. Shark. Um, written by Watiti, uh, synopsis, a young boy in Hitler's army finds out his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. Uh, the film stars Roman Griffin Davis as Jojo, uh, Thomason McKenzie as Elsa, Scarlett Johansson as Rosie, uh, Taco Watiti as Adolf Hitler, Sam Rockwell, uh, Robert Wilson, Alfie Allen, Stephen Merchant, and Archie Yates. So, let's talk about why we like this movie in the most vaguest sense before we get into the details. Okay. Um, Roman Griffin Davis, who played JoJo, did an amazing job, and I usually yes. cannot stand children in films. I'm I'm with you all the way. I can, I don't like children actors and or child actors unless they're like. Um, the girl from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what the actress name. Her performance was great, but it, performance like that is very few and far between. On on the other hand, this movie, that dude fucking killed it. He did absolutely. I even liked his friend uh, Archie Yates. He played Yorkie. Yeah, I absolutely love that kid. Um, his his skills in acting. <laughs> you told me you just wanted to pinch his cheeks. I wanted to pinch his fucking cheeks. They were so cute. He's like this little chubby boy with like these big glasses that were like magnifying his eyes and everything. Damn, it was great. <laughs> I just like the fact that he was just rolling with the punches, like whatever. Like I still care about you, and yeah, and he was like commenting on what's going on too. Yeah, he's like, there's there's a part in the trailer. He says like, I don't think it's a good time to be a Nazi. <laughs> it's like Germany's falling. Um, so there was that. Uh, I like how stylized it was Mm -hmm. everything was like in the greens and the browns of the time yeah absolutely um but then at the same time the way they were acting like scarlett johansson was really great yeah she seemed like she had she was having a lot of fun with this role yeah she seemed like she was having fun Mm -hmm. and um she emoted really well like you could feel her character Mm -hmm. like you felt I mean, you didn't really know what her character was into in the beginning, but just like as a mother and someone who cared deeply for her son, mm-hmm. but was really strong and witty at the same time. Yeah. Um, I really liked her character. Yeah, because you were getting a sense that um, you were getting a sense that she wasn't really into the whole Nazi thing. She was just wanting to she wanted her boy just to enjoy his life and everything. As the movie kind of progressed, she was slowly you were kind of getting more about her character and what she's doing behind the scenes and her worries for her son start kind of slowly being more and more revealed of like, I don't want my son in this life. He's, he's a 10 year old boy. He should be playing, not throwing politics. Yeah. And politics and throwing knives and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, throwing knives, but not to kill Jewish people. (laughs) (laughs) Not cool. Um, I it's fun. I I have a little thing about Sam Rockwell. I love Sam Rockwell. I really enjoy his acting. His acting is kind of the same, like kind of like this laid back, cool guy. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering to see how they were going to incorporate that style into this film. And it worked out because he played. He essentially played like a washed up Nazi soldier, right? Uh, who drank a lot. <laughs> I don't know. His character grew on me. Mm. He was kind of annoying in the beginning because he was so jaded. Yeah, yeah, I got that sense too. And then 
you know, as time progressed, you kind of saw what his point actually was. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason why I was sad. Yeah, well, I mean, you still I'm not telling. I'm not telling you why. <laughs> so that's not a spoiler. Yeah, that's a, that's for the record. Spoiler. Yeah, but I'm just saying, he uh, he did a really great job. What did you think of? Well, you, well, I really enjoyed the direction because I got a cartoon sense of the movie. Yeah. Um, because you know Adolf is supposed to be, or yeah, Adolf Hitler is supposed to be this imaginary character, and the way how he, the way how what what TT kind of emoted that and walked around and carried himself was very cartoonish. Like I can picture, like how a child would, yeah, what, yeah imagine like, yeah. their friend to be, yeah, like if if they did, if they gave it like the Robert Zemeckis, uh, Roger Rabbit treatment and made it like uh, animation mixed with live action, mm-hmm. I could what TT would still would it would have been like perfect. It still would have worked out because mm-hmm. just the way how his body was moving and how um, they gave him that little fucking pudge. Oh yeah, I think that. No, that Pudge isn't real. He looks like a really skinny guy, but I don't think that Pudge is real. I don't think so. No, it's like this weird, old-timey, like, man of that time Pudge. Like, they have this weird dad bod thing. Yeah, like, they have, like, no muscle and just, like... No muscle and, like, like this a, little jelly roll. Yeah, like Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I had mentioned to you earlier how uh, one of the scenes that's in the movie, and it's in the trailers, that part where... Um, Jojo and Hitler uh, carry that grenade, and how he like jumps over the kids and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and how ridiculous Watiti's body's like. Oh, it almost looks rubbery when he like moves. I think it actually looks like a swastika. Now I think about it, when yeah. he jumps. <laughs> and I've seen that move. I've seen the trailer a thousand times and seen that scene a thousand times. It's still fucking hilarious to see him do that. Yeah, I was like, God damn, that dude like nailed it. Even the way <laughs> his like hair flopped to the right in the wind, like yeah. Yeah. It was like super ridiculous. Yeah. Um also the girl, um, Thomason McKenzie. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen her before somewhere. Yeah, she does have a familiar face. Um and I feel like she's been in something that I liked. Maybe it's the McKenzie name that sounds familiar. Is she related to somebody? Uh, whenever I think about her, I think of Mackenzie Phillips, the girl who's like oh. the latest Terminator in the uh, Terminator Dark Faith movie. No, it's not the uh, name that I recognize. It's the face. Um, um, but she she did a really good. That's where she's from. Leave No Trace. Remember, that's the that's the movie where it's uh, she plays the daughter of that guy of uh, I think the actress Robert oh, Forrest and live in the yeah. woods. That's why she looked. I, I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's where she's from. She's yeah. from Lido yeah. Trade. And she was great in that movie, too. She was. Um, she did a great. So, where is she from? Because either she does an American accent really well or she does a, a German accent really well. New Zealand. Oh. Totally. New Zealand. Jesus Christ. Watiti. <laughs> I've seen a lot of what he's like past work uh-huh. and he always, it, somehow he always gets great actors or he really pulls something really great from the, the people he gets on board. Uh-huh. Like how he essentially took the Thor movies from the depths of hell and mm. made them fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in, uh, what's the movie? What We Do in the Shadows? Hilarious. Hilarious mockumentary on vampires. Mm. Like legit vampires. And I haven't seen Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, 
I will probably rectify that today. But from what I heard, he pulls a great performance from the child actor in that movie as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, he he did the same for um for Thomas uh Thomas uh, was it Thomas Thomason Th- Thomason McKenzie yeah. Um, she, her character was really great. Like you get a sense that she's scared and everything. Yeah. And and she has but, so much heart. And yeah, but like not a not a victim either. No, she's not a victim. Yeah. Just like I'm gonna fucking live. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has like a really unique beauty about her too yeah i i fully have to agree with that yeah yeah um you know what okay so i can tell that we're we really want to talk about talk about it in greater detail so we're gonna shut up table we're getting into it (laughs) (laughs) the table's like crack i have an opinion crack i have an opinion crack into spoilers okay so uh well from that you know we're gonna talk about jojo rabbit and the spoiler section um if you don't want to be spoiled uh go ahead and skip over you know we got a spoiler bumper for you um but until then we will see you right back So now we're in the spoiler section. Yeah, table. We're in the spoiler section. <laughs> All right. So let's 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 do a deep dive into this into this movie. Why'd you hate this movie? I didn't hate this movie. <laughs> you know what? Huh. The only way I will accept Rebel Wilson in any kind of film at all mm. is where she has almost no like role at all. Mm-hmm. And when it is, she's really fucking stupid that's it yeah i mean she likes to really play up like the i want to say the chris farley s type treatment where like oh i'm fat i'm falling all over the place dirt, 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 and stuff like that and she you know what she this role is perfect for her because she was very stupid <laughs> she's very stupid um there was one part that caught me off guard when uh jojo is working uh, for Sam Rockwell's character and Robert Wilson's character, and she's like, "Oh, he can take the clones out for a walk." Oh yeah! And they showed like all her kids, and they looked all exactly. I don't know if they were all if they were all actually twins, but you get a quick glimpse of it, and I would just burst out laughing, like, "Holy shit! What the fuck did we just see right now?" <laughs> um, that was great. Um, one thing I I I I I, I want to touch on on Watiti's direction about this, I really liked how at the beginning of the movie, it was propaganda film, Mm -hmm. but they played it like if the Beatles were coming to Germany. And they even had the Beatles, um, this Beatles song called like uh, Kim Hong, Kim Hong something like, I can't remember the name of the song, but it was it was crazy because the girls were like screaming. It's basically the German version of a really popular song that they had yeah um i think it's, oh i want to hold your hand that's yeah. the song there you go. it's a german version of how i want to hold your hand um which they do a lot of german versions of popular uh american songs like there's a tom Waits song there's a david bowie song that's done in germany mm-hmm. which is really great um but back to that opening the opening was fucking awesome because it, it really it 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 like showed how because how exciting that probably was for a lot of people who were getting into it yeah and you've you've seen a lot of you've seen a few World War II documentaries, right? Or like, yeah. yeah. And you see like the propaganda video and they're going nuts. 
you always got a sense of like, this is like the Beatles. Yeah. And Watiti was just like, yeah. So you see, this is how it is. <laughs> and it was like funny, but like scary at the same time. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I really liked about it. And uh, I forgot where I was going with it. If I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else was good with his direction? Um, there was this really cool sense. Oh, oh go I remember. Based off of that, where where it's like, okay, it's like the Beatles are coming. Mm-hmm. I know he's gotten a lot of flack for making a film like this mm-hmm. because it's basically a lot of people feel like it's glorifying the Nazis, but you can kind of tell that either they didn't watch it or it went over their head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's a straight up. It's a straight up satire. Yeah, it's a satire, and it's not really Adolf Hitler. It's like the kid's imaginary friend, and also like it has a lot of like a lot of um, subtle, a lot of subtle, um, subtle notions of kind of like uh, hate, you know, versus like love versus hate, mm. or like you know how. Um, you feel like a couple of the characters might be gay, even though they're Nazis. Yeah, Sam Rockwell's character and his friend, who uh, is played by uh, Alfie Allen, who um, from Game of Thrones fame. Um, Alfie Allen was like his uh, like right hand man assistant, but you got a sense of like they might be gay. Yeah, even like near the end, where Sam Rockwell is like donning this weird like final fight outfit is very flamboyant i mean it's funny that you feel like you asked me afterwards you're like did you get a sense that they were gay like you really weren't sure about yourself but the first time i thought that they were gay you kind of come into the room with jojo rabbit and his mom oh yeah yeah and they were standing uh face to face each other right no before that Oh, when he was about to feed him? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, I was just, what? He was feeding him, and he had his jacket, like, off his shoulders, like, down to his elbows. And as soon as she walked in with Jojo Rabbit, he, like, put his jacket on really quick, and, like, he wasn't feeding him anymore. And, mm. like, it was real, like, so, yeah, they were gay. Like, it, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They mm. were just playing with it. But the, he was, they were gay. Yeah, they were playing with the gay, but they didn't, he didn't, like, they didn't, they, they were, didn't kiss. Yeah, they didn't, like, Watiti didn't, like, hammer it into your head. Like, oh, these guys are obviously gay. He was just like, hey, they might, they might be gay. You know, like, he didn't want to. Right, because I honestly don't know how he would have made those characters work if he did hammer that in. Because they're Nazis. They're not supposed to be gay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so go on. So they're not supposed to be gay. So then they're not like showing, yeah. they, you know, like it's one of those things like, okay, you have these guys who run like gay conversion camps. Mm-hmm. So they're like hardcore, like yeah. I'm, I'm not gay, yeah. I'm anti-gay, yeah. and then it comes out later, like I'm totally fucking gay. Yeah, like dude, we we know we you, you what was it? Thou thou doth protest too hard or something. Thou like that? doth protest too much. Yeah, yeah, it's that sense. But so um, yeah, so it's like that. Like if you hammered it in too hard, it would have been this weird disconnect. I think between like okay, how can you have two 
very openly gay people and being Nazis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I think their heart kind of lent to the story. Mm. Or um, the captains did anyway. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, what, 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 I'm a brain fart right now. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would have to second that, mo- that notion about what was going on behind the scenes. There were there were a few things that were going on behind the scenes of the movie um, that didn't come to light full front until later, and it impacted it in a big way. Like how uh, JoJo's mother, uh, Scarlett Johansson, was... Uh, she, seemed, she seemed like she might have been doing something that was maybe against the Nazi cause, and the movie slowly started building up this idea that she might have she was against it and maybe she might be helping the rebels yeah it's weird because in the beginning you totally believe that she's in with the nazis because mm. she is wants her son to go through training and all yeah, these things be excited about the training and everything yeah so it's like okay so she's totally like a nazi sympathizer yeah i think that i think that kind of that went away after uh, that grenade went off right next to him i think she would just like when that happened she was just like no I, I do, I don't no, I don't think so, because she still took him, like, to the people who were mm. directly involved with that, and were like, okay, what can she do to help? And he was putting up posters and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. I think that there's, I'm of two minds, and I don't know what will win out, but mm. she's either... She's either having her son get into these things because... She doesn't want him to die by saying he's not a Nazi. Like, he's totally into it, and that's partly her fault because she and her father, I mean, his father, like, let him get into that kind of thing, and they Mm. were really, like... Yeah, the father, like, supposedly went to go fight for the Nazis and everything. Right. And then, so either it's because she doesn't want him to die, Mm. Or it's because it's a good cover for whatever she's doing. I, 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 okay, I would go with the second one and add a little bit more to it. I think she did it um, just in case if she ever got found out. Because nobody never knew what she was really doing mm-hmm. um, when she wasn't around. So I think if she, would, if she placed him, uh, like hiding in plain sight but without the kid knowing. Yeah. If she placed him with sam rockwell to do these things and for the cause and everything if something ever happened where she got found out there would be no argument that like oh the son was probably involved as well because we don't know what he was doing so he might have been joining her with this right so that was like a way to protect uh protect him and what was a value uh a value idea especially what happens to her later on the movie right which is really sad (laughs) exactly um and then it's funny because then you realize there's that Jewish girl, like his mother's hiding mm-hmm. her, and he's completely blown away by this. Um, I really like how they introduced her because they made it seem like it was a fucking horror movie. They did. I don't know how I feel about that. It came across a little disingenuous to me. Really? A little bit. Not like outside the realm of believability Mm. but kind of on the border of that because i know kids can be that way where they're like threatening and stuff but Mm. it was just so over the top there was no bargaining there was no like i'm gonna try to understand you first Mm. or anything like that 
It was just like, no, I'm going to fucking murder you and your mother. Like, and that, that seemed a little over the top, even for that situation to me. Well, I, yeah, I, I, but I think, I think they did that because she had a, I think they did that because she had to really come off as very dangerous for he wouldn't talk. And I think that lent into the idea of what his mindset was because, um, and they play around this a lot in the movie where the, I, the Nazis information on what a, a Jewish person is, it's like super duper ridiculous, you know? They jo- they go off to say like Nazis sleep uh, sleep upside down like bats. Uh, Nazis are they only like shiny things and they they eat your face and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they eat babies. They eat babies, and I think they made a joke like the Russians have sex with dogs or something like that. It was really yeah. stupid, but it kind of like leads into the idea of like the propaganda and the mind control and the indoctrina- indoctrination of these children who were led to believe that Nazis were essentially like. like Literal nightmares. Yeah. So I think when they introduced the introduction of Elsa, and it made it come off like a horror, uh, a horror movie. I think you were kind of getting into the mindset of what JoJo was seeing. Like, oh my god, this is my worst nightmare. I'm about to be murdered by this monster. So yeah. it, it, she makes monster-like movement. So are you saying that she's more or less introduced to us how he? Yeah, saw her from like his through his lens. Yeah, through his perspective. Okay. Yeah, and he even like kind of like even started to understand her like you know, hey Jew, I want you to tell me all this information. And she fed him all this bullshit, and he was like writing down to like he was believing every single word with it, which was hilarious. Uh, I made a connection, and I was hoping you made it, but it seems like you missed it. What was that? Remember the name of the book? Remember he was making oh, a book. Oh, I totally get it. Hey Jude, right? He- yeah. A Beatles song. But it was Yahoo Jude. Like Yahoo. You yeah. know, like Yahoo. Like, like hey Jude. Dude, yeah, yeah. Wow, holy shit. I didn't catch it until right now. Until like right this second. I was getting into it. <laughs> hey Jude. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was Jude. Like, I yeah, don't he didn't spell it right. He thought it was Jew, but like, I don't know, the D silent. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's like the German term, how they say, how they say Jew. They say Jude or something like that. But maybe. But it's still funny. <laughs> um, le- okay, so let's let's talk about let's talk about the drama part of it, um, like the realistic nature of of the film. The, the, yeah, the realistic nature, nature of the whole story and everything. Um, it is you know it's a, it's a full on satire. Well, not full on. It is a satire, but there are elements and sprinkles of like realistic um, things that happens in the film, which I had this I had this idea of what. What Tiki, what Titi, uh, was getting at, he used a form that's rarely seen in film now, which is called neorealism. Mm-hmm. Neorealism was uh, brought around during like the Italian evol- revolution of cinema, mm-hmm. and they create what was called neorealism, which gave you an idea of what you were seeing, like a real kind of um, real but somewhat dreamlike, somewhat satire story, mm-hmm. but sprinkled elements of like hard drama hard realistic kind of things and he used that quite a few times during the film mm-hmm. and it would happen out of nowhere but it would be like holy shit that's like it would hit you but it would make the it would it would make there'd be a point to it right every step of way, like the the parts where they show like jewish people being hung yeah that part was fucked up it was and actually it kind of brings me to the fact that scarlett johansson is my favorite character out of the whole film oh okay um, you know, she's with Jojo and then they see those hanging people and she looks at them and he has a hard time looking at them and she turns his head 
yeah. to make him look back at them. And he's like, mom, why, why are they hanging? Mm. And she's like, they are hanging cause they did what they could. Yeah, exactly. And she didn't want to like keep them away from him. She's like, no, like this is the shit you got to deal with. Like this right. is real. So, yeah. And it's not like, Hey, look, because you're a Nazi mm. and you should be happy to see dead people. There was a sadness in her of mm. like, no, you need to look like, don't disrespect them by looking away because they're here. They're sending you a message. This is wrong. Yeah. Like they're still human even after they die. They're yeah. Not, they're not just piles of meat or whatever. And even throughout the whole film, you know, she's really sweet to him. And then there's like that scene where they're eating dinner and she's clearly frustrated with him because of his beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, and then she does this thing where she, you know, he wants to know where his father is and everything. And she kind of pretends to be his father. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was pretty creative. Yeah, she like uh, she picks up the ash from the chimney and slaps it on her face like it's a beard, you know. Yeah, strategically then, missing her lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> she like, probably did this, like she probably pursed her lips together. Oh yeah, maybe like put yeah, because I know fingers. like when you know you're a guy, you should know this when you're putting uh, makeup, you, sh- you know, shaving cream on your face. Mm. Instead of like trying to get around your lips, mm-hmm. usually you purse your lips all the way together like this, mm-hmm. okay. and it doesn't get on your lips. No, I think it still gets on my lips. But I'm you're doing it wrong. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, next time you shave your beard, you tell me how it's done. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but going back to uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, scene, um, every scene she's in is like a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. So. She's almost like a, a, a glimmer of hope throughout every scene of the. She is. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like she's like, come on, we got to dance and, you know, live your life. Mm-hmm. And um, she starts getting to a point where she's showing him in little ways without really be, being blatant about it. Like, I'm not a Nazi sympathizer. I'm really actually trying to help the cause. Yeah. Uh, to get away from it. And mm. I just want it to be over. She tells them, too. Like, I want it to be over. I don't want any more fighting. Yeah. And she doesn't say, like, Nazis are wrong. She's just like, this war is pointless. People are dying. But she doesn't blatantly say, Nazis are bad. Like, trying to, like, give him, idea that she, give him the idea that she's not a sympathizer, but just to be like, we're, we're wasting resources. Right. Like, she goes on a roundabout way of telling him, like, you should think like this instead. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it's sad that she her character yeah. like never gets to see him and the, the Jewish girl free, like uh, free or even communicating with each other. Cause the whole time mm. they were keeping it from her that they knew like she, that her son Jojo knew about Elsa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that kind of lends into how much her, her unexpected death was, it was so hard hitting. Mm-hmm. Especially like the way how they did it, because Jojo is kind of like just walking around. This I think he's like walking around getting food or something like that. Yeah, and just kind of living his life. And then it happens so sudden when he turns and he's like he bumps into like he's in the area where they hung the 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 Jewish people, and he bumps into her legs and it takes him a second being like, wait, is this my mom? And he looks up. And oh yeah, because you can see her shoes yeah. and they were like those, they were like, I don't, there's a word for them and I don't know what it is, mm. but you almost think about them as dancing shoes. Yeah. Um, but it, they're white and red. Yeah. And they, and they, there's even a number, it's, I, 
this goes to like Watiti's direction, which is so cool. They, if you think about, it, there's a bunch of shots of just her shoes, yeah, dancing around. So when you see them, you like, I know whose shoes those belong to. Holy shit! Right. You make the connection, and it makes it more impactful. Yeah. Which is very hard. That thing was hard. fucking heartbreaking. That kid, it, so Roman did a great job in that scene too because you don't ever see her face at yeah. once she's hanging. You yeah. see her purple feet in her shoes. And when they, they pull away, they do like a shot from the distance. You mm. see her red hair. Yeah. So you know it's her. But then they go back to him with her feet and he's like destroyed and he stops and ties her shoes because yeah. she's always tying his shoes. Yeah, he can't, and he can't, he, can't, he can't make himself do it. No, he did. He tied yeah. her shoe and yeah. then he went back to hugging her feet and crying. Well, I think, no, I, he, I, I thought he like attempted a couple times and he was like, uh, like it was almost like he was trying to have a sense of order. Like, oh my God, like I got to do something because this is too much right now. And the emotions kind of came over him and he had to hug her. That's oh. that's what I was getting that he couldn't he couldn't complete the simple task of tying the sho- tying her shoes. Oh, but, oh, you know what? I will say that again because he ended up tying the girl's shoes at the very end. He ended up finally doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought he ended up tying his own shoes earlier because they were riding bike together, and then she tied his shoes together and mm. left him and said, "You figure it out. I'm gone. Bye." Yeah, that's true, but he we never see it, it and and it's, and he has done it, but it was like it was never done correctly. Yeah. And that's why the mother was like, oh, you gotta know how to tie your shoes correctly over and over. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're like focusing a lot on the shoe thing, but it, it actually has a really good it, point. It does, to it. yeah, it does play a pretty big part. Yeah. Um, and that's when I got really, really sad. Oh, man. It, it like, it's so sad because, like, now you know this child is without his mother. Mm-hmm. You don't know where his father is. They keep talking about him, but you don't know if he's actually alive or not. Okay, I have a question about that. They. He was he had a big part of the resistance, right? Because it seemed like, um, it seemed with that scene where uh, Elsa and and Jojo were talking, I thought she was she kind of revealed to him that he had died, but he was actually he had actually been fighting against the Nazis. I know she said Nate died, her fiance. Yeah, that was like later on after when she was in the room. But the part where they're on top of the they're on top of the house and they're watching the 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 war being come closer towards their village. Mm-hmm. I got a sense that like she was telling him like, yeah, like your this is what your mom told me about your dad. He was actually this person. This is why your mom is actually for the cause. Oh, not for not for the Nazi cause, but for the the cause to bring down the Nazi empire. Yeah, I don't know if if I mean. It's not like I wasn't paying attention. I just, I think sometimes everything is so subtle. Mm. Like, it's definitely worth the second watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if she was actually talking about him as if he died mm. and was trying to be soft about it. Yeah. Or if she was just trying to calm him down a little bit by talking, like, stories and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and it, from that moment, there are the, the, the moments of sadness kind of starts ramping up a little bit as like, it's now hitting winter and they have, they're getting information that the Russians are getting closer. The Americans are getting closer. And then, and this boy is living by himself with this girl in his house. Yeah. And they're trying to get food so, together. Yeah. So yeah. they're like scrapping food together and like they're getting pretty close, like as a family. Mm. 
Um, cause they're all each other has. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, then comes like that part where it seems like the Americans and the Russians are at the front line. They're like right at the gates mm-hmm. and everybody's like scrambling to get their weapons together. And we see, we see, uh, what's his name? Yorkie again. Uh-huh. God, I love that kid. Man. <laughs> God, I love that kid. And then comes the bombing of their village. Mm-hmm. I thought that shit was fucking beautiful. Yeah. It was amazing. And it was just like, it was like all this comedy, all this satire with a little bit of drama. And it was like, boom. Remember World War II? This is what happened. Yeah. People died. And how the kid was just like watching. Because you know how they say like when it's something really traumatic, everything mm-hmm. kind of goes in slow motion. Mm-hmm. It was straight up like that. Like all he can do is watch. Right. Yeah. He he didn't become like the hero or anything. Yeah. He was almost like, uh, there's a term and I know you've used it before. When someone is like the person who views view something in third person as the audience yeah um like that yeah absolutely um and from there we get we still get little moments of like comedy like the part where where he sees rebel wilson and rebel wilson (laughs) she like grabs one of her kids and then like straight up tells him like go hug that nice army man and then puts a grenade in his back and he's like go go give him a hug she pulls it and you're just like Wow, she just sent her son to die. Yeah, exactly. Holy shit. <laughs> and then how she like, she's like, here, Jojo, put on this jacket so they can, they know not to shoot you because you're a kid. It was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and she pulls out that Gatling gun and just like, full mind field up, da 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 da. And she blows up. Yeah. Her great performance, her was... best performance ever. She I blows know. up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I, and it was, it wasn't like, it wasn't over, the action wasn't overdone. It was, there was like a point to it where, Everything that had been built up that JoJo seemed to have been kind of wanting to happen because he wanted to see, uh, he wanted to see battle, and he was upset he wasn't going to see it because the grenade that blew up next to him kind of it disfigured him and it fucked up his leg and everything. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you want a war? Boom! This is what it is, and he yeah. was like terrified. Yeah, exactly. So then I think he kind of realized towards the end, like, no, I like, I'm a boy. I like the action. Mm-hmm. and everything but when it comes down to it i'm still a boy like i don't want to hurt anybody i just yeah. like you know rough and tumble stuff yeah um i th- oh one thing we wanted to, i wanted to talk about was his name because his name is jojo i forgot what his last name is but they call him jojo rabbit mm-hmm. and they called him jojo rabbit because they make him sound like a scared little rabbit mm-hmm. but when watiti comes out as hitler and he's like no, you're a rabbit because rabbits are smart. They're cunning. They're this. They're that. I'm like, I want to be a rabbit too. <laughs> yeah. It was like cool how they like how he explained that away. Exactly. Um, it's funny because it really it shows how he used even Adolf as his imaginary friend was supportive of him. Mm. And then when when he had a conflict within himself, then Adolf had a conflict with him as well. Yeah, I actually like how they displayed um, they displayed Hitler like that because it's after this conflict happens after the news gets out that Hitler essentially blew his brains out, and when that Hitler appears, he has like a bullet hole on one side and the exit wound on the other side. Mm-hmm. He looks like all disheveled and shit like that. Yeah, and it was like it was like that conflict was like bargaining with him to stop um, to not to to be for the cause. Like he was like, "Give me a Heil, come on." 
give me a hile, give me a hile, please give me a hile. Like it was almost like a drug. Yeah, addiction. like if you don't believe it, like uh, in uh, Tinkerbell, then she stops existing. Yeah, exactly. And then he like kicks Hitler out of the fucking window. Yep, exactly. Uh, no, it was one part where Adolf just jumps out the window. Yes. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm going to have dinner now. Bye. <laughs> out the window. And I was just like, totally with that. <laughs> I'm like, of course, that's not going to make sense. Like, I, I actually like that they never had Hitler kind of fade away or anything like that. It, they had a, either. He either was disappeared, like it cut. And then when they cut back, yeah, he, was, he was gone. gone. Yeah. Or he like makes a great exit. Yeah, like out the window or something like that. Or he would like appear or like Jojo would come into the room and like Hitler would be in his bed. Yeah. And it'd be like, no, I kept the bed warm for you because that's what friends do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have any, you have any um, final thoughts about Jojo Rabbit? This hurts me in the same part where racism does. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it's like people, like human suffering and I don't like it. Like, I like the film, mm-hmm. and it had to be made, and I, I get why it was made, mm. and I don't regret watching it at all. Like, it's a great film. I'm yeah. just, I guess, so overwhelmed with, like, Trump and, you know, Says you like the, the fucking the, the Kurds and, like... The rise of the Nazi party coming, yeah, the no, coming the, back. The, yeah, the fucking Nazis here, and, like, yeah. you know, me reading more and more things about how black people are disenfranchised yeah and yeah. ways Incels. that i didn't even know about yeah. until recently that mm-hmm. i'm like like there's just so much pain like i there's no way to turn it off mm-hmm. and it's like it now like even with film it's like i don't want to watch it anymore because i feel it every day now yeah yeah, yeah. even though i have to, I, ha- I can't just not watch it because that's not fair to the people who that, it's meant to help yeah um, I, I really think it's great. I, what, uh, Watiti said this during an interview that he was actually sad that he had to make a movie to remind people that Nazis were bad. Yeah. Because apparently there's this whole Nazi sympathizing thing going around. People are like, it, people are okay with fucking doing a high Hitler, wearing a swastika. Um, it, 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 the whole rise of the Nazi party coming back into here and overseas has affected me personally because uh i'm not this old but my dad was this old he mm-hmm. my dad literally fought the nazis in world war ii yeah so when someone says someone someone nazis come out I'm like dude my dad literally fought nazis in world war ii like a lot of people can't really say that because they they're like their parents fought in vietnam war and stuff like that yeah and they say they're like my grandpa but i'm like one your gen- dad is old enough to be your grandpa <laughs> yeah i'm like one generation away of being like yo what the fuck man like are you serious yeah um I think the film the film is a it's not just like a satire on the Nazi party but it's a great coming of age story because mm-hmm. Jojo essentially grows up right in front of us like mentality wise yeah um, I thought the music was straight on straight spot on it was even though it's more modern music mm-hmm. but it fits what's going on right the story um, that acting was fucking superb um, what well, Titi Hitler I could I I'm glad he he took the role. Um, Foxer like said that that they would only make the movie if he plays Hitler, <laughs> which I was, and he was just like, "Fuck yeah, all right, fine." And he played him like a dick, like a complete monster. Yeah. Um. So I mean, all in all, I mean, I had to say this shit. It probably is like one of the best films I've seen this year. Yeah. Like um, way up there. I'll have to agree with that. Okay, so 
from there, we're going to go ahead and jump into our, our uh, try this, not that uh, segment. Um, we got to watch quite a few things. Uh, well, we, we watched something from our previous episode that was never came about. Yeah. Um, we were going to we were going to review Parasite. We never got a chance to actually give it a full review, but we do want to recommend Parasite. The uh, Bong Joon-ho film, Bong Joon-ho directed Okja, Snowpiercer, Mother, uh, written by the director. Um, We won't spoil it, but we have to talk about it because it is a phenomenal film. Absolutely phenomenal. It's a great um, suspense, like psychological suspense thriller slash commentary on on class on class and how rich people view um like poor people and how poor people will exploit the niceness of rich people to try to get what they want yeah and how those rich people will exploit poor people to get what they want it's like a back and forth kind of thing but like in a very subtle way yeah very massively shown and not beating you over the head with it exactly um the film it was the winner of the uh the palme d'or at the Cannes film festival it Mm -hmm. has been submitted uh south korea for best international film i honestly hope it wins for well i don't know if i want that to win for best foreign film why because i saw something that it's a strong contender for that really yeah but we'll we'll talk about that it's in we'll talk about it in this segment um but yeah, we we got a chance to see it, and holy shit, you and I were on the edge of our fucking seats while watching this movie. Yeah, um, it's super interesting. It's uh, beautiful because you know the house that they live in is amazing, like an ar- like architecturally, yeah. like it's beautiful inside and outside. Holy shit! Yeah, um, it's just. I don't know. I can't really say anything else without actually giving it away. Yeah. Um, I will admit the acting was really dope too. Um, especially like the way how some of the characters would develop. Um, specifically, let me see if I can see the guy's name, the one who played the father who is, I think it's King, so- King Ho Song. Um, his acting was really good. The guy who played the son was really dope as well. On um, the one who played the daughter, um, her name is oh god what is her name i think it's sodan park i think that's the daughter uh oh no no i'm sorry uh wook sik choi i think that's the daughter i I, i'm sorry about that um her performance was really good Mm -hmm. um it kind of broke my heart what happened to her later in the movie yeah um which i think that that kind of lends into how great her performance was and how great the writing was yeah um like I, I, I gotta stop because I'm I'm afraid I'm gonna like spoil it. Exactly. But, but anything that you've heard about this film and how good it is, they 100 percent correct. It's and, absolutely and probably even more amazing than anyone could even articulate. Yeah, yeah. Because like, if it's hard to really describe this film in detail without even with spoiling, it because it turns from one thing about a family trying to survive and get kind of come up in the world and how it just turns into something completely not something completely different but it just turns into something that's 
it more gets hard. away from them. It, it yeah. becomes more and more out of control. Yeah, yeah. And like like Kelsey said, it's a great commentary on class between the poor and the rich. Mm-hmm. Um, that's especially poignant now. Yep. Which is amazing. Um, you want to talk about your not <laughs> not this? <laughs> okay, my not that is. Mm-hmm. Kids say the darndest things. <laughs> please go. Please tell tell them why you didn't like it. Because you told me I was just like, damn, that's cold. But okay, go on. <laughs> okay, I love Tiffany Haddish, and I know that some of her her comedy, even though people love it, and I've not seen it, mm-hmm. but when I see her, like I've seen her on talk show clips and stuff. Yeah, her comedy makes her seem kind of uneducated. Yeah, and. Um, and I know that's not the truth because I've also seen her where she doesn't come across that way at all. And she's like really, really smart. Yeah. She like plays to, she kind of plays to her audience and kind of plays to like her level of comedy, you know, right. not to be like stupid, but like she's smart how she's going about it. Yeah. And so I used to watch uh, Bill Cosby's kids say the darndest things. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was hilarious. But at the time I was like 10, 11 years old. Yeah. And now I'm seeing this one and my kids are laughing and cracking up and I'm like, Tiffany Haddish just sounds like really fucking stupid. Mm. And and I hate that because I know she's not. Yeah, yeah. And and it's just like almost like a waste of my time. Do you think she's playing stupid for the kids' sake or for the audience's sake? For the kids. Oh, uh, okay. But it's stupid because I've seen people like even Bill Cosby sometimes could play stupid for the kids, mm. but he didn't do it in such a way that made him look stupid. Just mm-hmm. like you could tell he was playing playing to the kids, but he was also like maybe cleverly um, making it so that adults could get behind it too and yeah. they weren't annoyed by the type of humor it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just like sh- she's not able to do that or it's not written in, like well enough. Yeah, because I know she's not writing it herself. I think she even mentioned she had writers. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, she probably there's probably like a level of how she has to dumb it down a little bit because it's like her her comedy is is it is raunchy, but it it's on what it's on Fox. Correct? Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu. Well, I watched it on Hulu. I don't know what okay. channel it was on. I think it's on Fox. So she can't be as raunchy. She has to like pull back a lot of stuff that would seem kind of raunchy. Plus, she's in front of a bunch of kids, so she can't really like she she hasn't had a lot of practice in like that non raunchy non raunchy type comedy. <clears throat> but the so the comedy the way she's coming across though is like I don't know if I was a kid and she was talking to me that she, the way she's talking I would get offended. Oh, okay. Because she sounds like she's trying to be a child as opposed to asking them questions that she knows will mess them up to say something funny. Gotcha. And and I don't know. I just feel like she's worth more than that. Gotcha. So that's a definitely not that, right? Yeah. All right. So avoid that. I mean, if you weren't watching it, you're not, not messing much. I, I don't really like, I never really liked that show to begin with because mm-hmm. I never liked Bill Cosby. Yeah. from the jump fuck that guy <laughs> i did and then my mom told my mom told me he was racist no against he, white people and no, then i no, that's I, when i started not liking him and then no he's just a rapist yeah <laughs> he's not a racist he's a rapist <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean like that was never my bag and you know i i, I i'm not caring about that shit at all yeah um so 
I have another try this. Uh, unfortunately, Kelsey hasn't seen this. I, I, she's got to watch this. I, now, now I'm feeling she's got to see this. So I got to see uh, Pedro Almodovar. Uh, I said that wrong. So Dalver. Pedro Almodovar. Dalver. <laughs> uh, latest film, which is called Pain and Glory. Um, the film stars Antonio Banderas, uh, Penelope Cruz is in it, and uh, quite a few other uh, actors and actresses in it as well. Um, yeah, a film director reflects on the choices he's made in life as past and present come crashing down around him. Um, I'm familiar with this dude's work. Uh, talk to her, um, Bad Education. Uh, he's made like these, um, oh, The Skin I Live In. He's made these very kind of like, Wrong, like kind of sexualized but kind of mysterious and but i don't know it's his style of storytelling is pretty weird there's also like a sense of um a lot of good twists that happens during the film oh high heels kiki yeah, kika and stuff like that about a door um this on the other hand oh my god i saw this movie and it looked beautiful from the trailers it looked beautiful the music was great um, and I thought like, and I, I'm a sucker for films where people really talk about the character really talks about their art and how it affects them mm-hmm. and how, uh, the stories, like how life imitates art or vice versa. Um, saw the movie by the end, I was fucking crying. Yeah. Like it hit me so goddamn hard that the only thing that stopped me from sobbing like a little baby was the fact that the theater was packed and there was a person sitting next to me. I couldn't hold back the tears. It's, it's, it's really beautiful, really emotional. And it's really amazing how the director and how, especially how Banderas takes his role and how he explores how his art, um, how, oh, sorry, how his art is reflection of his life. Mm-hmm. And how he like lost that sense, and how there was a numbers of a number of things that happened to help him remind him, this is why you make film, this is why you tell stories, because um, your emotions go into your stories, which right. is why I had such a connection, because that's how I write. My emotion goes into my writing. So, and when he got this, when the character is trying to find himself again and live back through these lies, it's beautifully done, mm-hmm. and. I'm kind of trying to fight back the tears right now every time I think about that fucking movie. Um, it was beautiful. It's a beautiful film, and I don't know. I might. I think I kind of want that to win for the best foreign film if it gets. Oh, it's been submitted. Um, uh, it's Sp- it's Spain's submission for the Academy for uh, Foreign Film. Mm-hmm. Kind of want that to win because it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. Um, a lot of people have compared it to Eight and a Half, Fellini's classic. Yeah, it's it's it is it is this generation's eight and a half. Hmm. Um, and I, I know you're not familiar with the director's work, but if you were, you would see that this film is essentially his biopic. Really? Yeah. Even the way how Banderas carries himself, his hairstyle, his outfit is is like the director's style, what he's lived and everything, and it's like a reflection of the character and uh, or of the director. Mm-hmm. So, it, I don't know. It was like we just saw like this dude pours heart out like on film. And yeah. It's fuck it. Like it's goddamn. It's fucking. And here's another movie I can't really talk about like how the, the great points because I'm gonna spoil the shit out of it. Yeah. But it's it's an amazing film. Like I have to show you this film. Okay. 
Yeah, but yeah, I highly recommend anybody who can see this movie, like watch it straight up. Watch it. You gotta tell them where you watched it. Oh, woo! I saw him at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> love that theater. I don't want to really go into full details in it because we got a long episode. But it's if you guys if you have an Alamo Draft House, an Alamo Draft House near you, please go. It is an awesome experience. That was your first time going, right? Yeah. Oh, and they, they made this drink, a real grande mule. <sighs> Chef kiss. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's going to be the end of our Try This, Not That. And we're going to jump into our topic discussion. It's a lengthy one. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you guys have been living on a rock... Director Smart Scorsese has pretty much said that um, Marvel films are not cinema. They're seen as uh, ro- roller coasters, th- uh, theme park rides. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Aniston has come out and was pretty much like, you know, th- these Marvel movies, like, why are they making these movies? Like, the- these movies are kind of, she didn't say they're killing cinema, but they're getting rid of the old days of certain types of film like blazing saddle heaven can wait young frankenstein goodbye girl stuff like that um she what she referred as like the the uh, may meg ryan error which is that error was cool but like it's that, but jennifer aniston is totally like uh she's, she's a great value meg ryan yeah and she's of that era and i mean to be honest jennifer aniston ain't a good actress at all yeah you know you can check out her track record her movies don't make shit and yeah. they're really rotten. So Scorsese had said that he doubled down and said that. Um, well, let's let's just say what the comment that he said. Um, he says, "I don't see uh, Marvel movies. I try, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well as sorry, as well made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under circumstances, is theme parks." Uh, it isn't cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experience to another human being. I think that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Elsie? Is that? I think it's bullshit, but I hate the fact that he's like, he's comparing it to theme parks. Mm-hmm. Because it's, that's also a subjective thing. I know plenty of people who are like, I hate theme parks. I will never go to one. Mm-hmm. So, okay, why do you hate theme parks? I get sick on the rides. There's too many people. Mm. They're dirty. It's too hot during the summer. Whatever. Yeah. They have valid reasons. Yeah. He doesn't have a valid reason because he's not... He hasn't really seen them. If he had, mm. if he had, he'd understand why that... What he said about... Um, it's not the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experience to another human being. That's all the Marvel films are. Yeah. Like it's uh, all psychological. They're all connected. Mm. They all find themselves or find each other or, Mm. you know, they're trying to hold each other up or bring each other down in some instances. It's all psychological. Yeah. Like uh, a great example is at the end of Avengers infinity war when you know, spoilers, you haven't seen that fucking movie, but like when the good guys lost and you see, um, uh, what's his name? His name's Chris Evans character, Captain America sit there and go like, Oh God, like we lost the fight. You can tell 
it fucking broke him. Yeah. Like right there. And you see him like trying to cope with that at Endgame. You see Scarlett Johansson's character cope with that because she's lost so many. You see her crying. And I have never, ever walked out of a film mm. feeling the weight of it as heavy as Infinity War. I mean, oh. yeah, Infinity War was. Yeah. That was a heavy heavy ending yeah the entire theater was quiet the entire theater was fucking heavy and like almost grieving yeah and then um he goes on and he doubles down on this he goes it's not cinema it's something else this is what this is what pisses him off he says he says we shouldn't be invaded by it we need cinemas to step up and show films that are narrative films all right i think this is where he's point this is where we see He's not really seen a Marvel film, at least a recent Marvel film. Fuck, like, fuck the Ghost Rider and Fantastic Four and X-Men films. Like, current MCU shit. Um, I don't know, Guardian. Oh, okay. Narrative. Narrative and psychological. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Quill finds his father, finds out his father has something to do with, if you guys haven't seen it, finds out that his father has something to do with his mother dying. Yeah. And that breaks him. And then when he sees Yondo die, or before Yondo dies, Yondo says this words, he was your father, but he was not your daddy. And that's when Peter Quill kind of sees, oh, Yondo was my father that I never appreciated. And how he dies in front of him. Uh That shit was hard. Yeah. That's some psychological, like, oh my God. Like, that's an arc. That's a character fucking arc right there. I can understand his frustration in a sense. Mm -hmm. Because we watched Atomic Blonde. Ugh. And I keep going back to that one, but... Yeah, you fucking hate that movie. I hate that movie because I wanted it to be such a great film because I love Charlize Theron. Mm. It was beautiful. Like, it, it was cool. It had everything in it that should make a great film except for a plot. Yeah. Like, and I feel like so many people just want The Fast and the Furious or they want, you know something to look cool as opposed to have a great story Mm. and they're missing out. So I understand except he's missing the mark because I don't see except with the exception of a few of the weaker films, maybe like the first Thor. Yeah. Thor one, Thor two was pretty weak. Even like Iron Man two was kind of weak. Yeah. Those films are filled with a lot of things. Mm. They're, you're just kind of lumping them together under one thing where it's like, oh, they they suck because everyone likes them because they're superhero films, and that's not true. Yeah, they're, they're like... Uh, because there are other superhero films that people absolutely fucking hate. Yeah. Like, you know, Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man 1... Sam, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We did our episode yeah. of that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and even like these films are becoming... They're becoming something more. Like, I like I, I like to go back to this because it makes... it It's absolutely right there. Um, Captain America, The Winter Soldier is an espionage film. Uh, Doctor Strange, it's like a psychological mind trip, alternate reality kind of thing that really questions, makes you question reality. Right. You know, there, there are films that have done it before, like, let's say Matrix, for example, mm-hmm. you know, Inception, stuff like that. But Marvel's done it. And, you know, they're gearing up for more with, um, uh, with these, and they're trying to push the limit of what is filmmaking. You know, like... Um, this isn't a movie, but this is a show, and it's Marvel, like WandaVision. It's supposed to really play with what is reality. 
you know what it, it if you're in a dream state and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and some of them have you know a really good message behind them like captain marvel for example it's a straight up like female empowerment film really great story well not, i won't say really great story but it's a really great example of a female empowerment kind of story right um yeah and to back him up director <laughs> fuck dude what the hell happened to you? director francis ford coppola came out recently this news actually came out a couple hours before we started recording um he had said this is what francis ford coppola had to say about marvel when martin scorsese says that marvel pictures are not cinema he's right because we expect to learn something from cinema we expect to gain something plus uh some gain something some enlightenment some knowledge some inspiration i don't know that anyone gets anything out of seeing the movies same movie over and over again let's take a pause there this is the dude who's made godfather one two and three um apocalypse now uh scarface i've seen scarface countless times that's his film mm-hmm. godfather one two countless time part three sucks straight up mm-hmm. so he needs to stop right there <laughs> okay and he goes on to say martin was kind when he said it's not cinema he didn't say he didn't say it's despicable which is which I just say it is. Dude, he's like straight up shitting on these films now. Yeah. And like, he's not just shitting on these films and like the fans. He's shitting on director's work. Um, James Gunn, who's a great, who's a good director from what we've seen in his Guardians film. We just gave Taco Waititi's Jojo Rabbit high praise. This dude made Thor Ragnarok, the weakest of the Marvel films, mm-hmm. to, to, something really great um the team behind captain marvel uh their film i can't remember the name of their indie film was really great i can't fucking remember it now that was really great john favreau is a good director and it's, it's like he's taking a fat, fucking fat dump on this shit like your shit don't your shit's not validated mm-hmm. which is fucked up so that's what irritates me the most like it's okay to have an opinion about something, but it isn't okay that your opinion basically tells everyone else that their piece is a shit. Yeah, like your your film is not cinema. You know, this all this work and effort and time you spent into creating something that people love, nah. Yeah, like if you're 80 years old and you made those films like mm-hmm. 40 years ago, okay, that was 40 years ago. Times change. Audience preferences change. Obviously, you were pioneering when you were doing your thing back then. Mm-hmm. You obviously are too old to understand the concept of pioneering now. Yeah. And so you need to just step back and let other people do what they're doing. You don't have to like it, but you can't as uh, um, the legends that you are just decide that their stuff isn't worth anything because you don't like it. Yeah. Or you don't get it. I mean, Coppola, like I said, this dude has made, let's, let's just go through some of the, his, some of his great films. Um, the, of course, Godfather one and two, I don't want to say three, the conversation, great film, the outsiders, uh, the cotton club. Um, what else he's done? Okay. And then his last great movie was the rainmaker. But later, this dude made Jack with Robin Williams, which is a garbage film. Robin was a great actor, but that film was garbage. Tetero, Twix that I heard was shit. 
disinvited. His films don't really make money anymore. Like he hasn't made a decent film since '97. Yeah. And I get he has his opinion. That's great. Scorsese has his opinion, but like at the same time, you're like, dude, it's cool to have your opinion, but like, don't come out like swinging like your film is not validated. You, you know, even Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino kind of carried the same tune about Marvel films, but then he saw them and he was like, okay, I can see the value of that. Like he actually likes, um, I believe he said he actually likes Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. But he at least took back his words and was like, okay, I can see why people dig these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to you wanna talk about some of the people that have commented on this, on, on what they said? Yeah. Um, so Robert Downey Jr., Obviously, he was Iron Man. Mm. Um, he said everybody's got an opinion, so I mean, it's okay. Um, and then Jackson. Samuel Jackson? Yeah, Samuel Jackson added, ain't going to stop nobody from making movies. Everybody's got an opinion, so I mean, it's okay. Wait, you put that twice. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, and he said this about Scorsese. And Samuel Jackson has worked with Scorsese and Goodfellas. Yeah. Um. It's kind of annoying when everyone's like, whatever, it's an opinion. I mean, I get that it's an opinion, but at the same time, it's just kind of like you have a responsibility as someone who other people look up to to kind of like validate them a little bit if Mm. they're watching your stuff. Yeah. Like I would imagine that like these, these directors behind these Marvel films, they got into film because they saw Taxi Driver. They saw Raging Bull. They saw The Conversation. They were like, I want to be Coppola. I want to be Scorsese. And the fact that like Scorsese and Coppola are just like, nah, man, I ain't feeling it. Or not, not even I ain't feeling it. <laughs> no, nah, man, your, your shit is wrong. It's, it's, it kind of breaks my heart that they, they said this. And granted, Kelsey and I, we don't make film. I mean, I wish I had a pinky level of talent that Scorsese and Coppola has. But at the same time, dude, I you're like you're just you're you're showing your age. You're becoming the old man screaming at the cloud. Right. Um Kevin Smith who is secretly becoming one of my favorite people in this world. Um Go well, on. I like his comment the most. Mm-hmm. Um it's He said, my feeling is Martin Scorsese never sat in a movie theater with his dad and watched the movies of Steven Spielberg in the early 80s or George Lucas in the late 70s. He didn't feel that sense of magic and wonder. I can still step into one of those comic book movies, divorce myself of the fact that I do this for a living, release, and my dead dad is back for a minute for two hours. And it's personal for a lot of the audience, you know, and we're not arguing whether or not it counts as cinema. I guarantee you there's something he enjoyed with his parents, like a musical. I bet you some cats would say a musical is not really cinema, but Martin Scorsese grew up on musicals, and I bet they mean a lot to him. These Marvel movies come from a core. They come from a happy childhood and the reflections of a happy childhood. He's not wrong, but at the same time, neither are we for loving those movies, and they are cinema. Mm. So I like that he went there because... Cinema is all about the experience. Yeah, we were just talking about how Jojo Rabbit, the theater going experience was awesome. And we were just, it was nothing grand, but it was just the fact that we were in that dome theater. 
Yeah, we were at the Dome Theater, and we watched it together, and like, and every time we come out of a movie theater and I'm quiet the way I was, Mm -hmm. you kind of know, like, oh, shit, that kind of probably hit her hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like, um, let's just go pull out Endgame. You know, when we saw it at the theater, uh, I'll never forget that day, Uh, we were fortunate to see it at a press screening, and... These are not not all of them are like a steam it's it's steam um, press uh, people of the press they might be just be regular folks like us who just happen to get in or who likes film like we do and works for film or uh, similar film sites but yo people were screaming applause you could hear shocks out of that fucking movie that was a theater going experience mm-hmm. with no 3D glasses no special like. Uh, 4D effects or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just a cinema experience that we got to witness, and it's a Marvel film, right? And it conveyed emotions. Exactly, I, I cried tears of joy. Yeah, watching like that epic battle, or even in the beginning when it oh. cuts to five years later. Yeah, that, and you're like, <gasps> yeah. Well, I wasn't the only one. You hear people going, "What the fuck?" Yeah, that was great. Um, I do like James Gunn's comment. Um, he posted this on his Instagram account and it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, many of our grandfathers thought all gangster movies were the same, often calling them despicable. He wrote, uh, some of our grand, our great grandfathers thought the same of Westerns and believed the films of John Ford, Sam, uh, pick and Sierra Leone were all exactly the same. I remember a great uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars. He responded by saying, I saw that when it was called 2001 and old boy was born. Superheroes are simply today's gangsters, cowboys, outer space adventures. Some superhero films are awful. Some are beautiful. Like Westerns and gangster movies and before that, just movies. Not everyone will be able to appreciate them. Even some geniuses. And that's okay. I really like his comment because he's just pretty much like this. He's saying this is of the time what you were back then was the same thing people um like uh, scorsese likes to shit on marvel films from what i heard the test screening for goodfellas weren't that good and goodfellas is considered a classic film mm-hmm. um some people didn't know what the fuck 2001 space odyssey was when it first came out people call it a classic film i'm sure there were a lot of people who didn't like scarface because it was really really fucking psycho yeah really fucking violent but you you would see that you see that shit on TV now. Fucking edit it. Yeah. You know, um, my my kid's mother loves Scarface, right? A Francis Ford Coppola film written by Oliver uh, Oliver Stone. But back then, too fucking violent. Depict uh, Cubans and all this shit too wrong. But we fucking love that film. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know. It's it comes off as a very like old man screaming at the cloud kind of thing it does um but i think that kind of goes to if you want to talk about that the way they portray racism and sexism and all kinds of stuff in those older films and Mm -hmm. how some of those people are even kind of complaining about how taxi driver for example woke culture killed comedy oh yeah fuck you todd phillips (laughs) you know what i'm saying like i think it's not just marvel films but it's also a bigger conversation about Times are changing and audiences are changing Mm -hmm. and not everything that people liked back then is going to work now. Mm -hmm. And not everything that is being made now is going to sit right with people 
who can't change from that time. Yeah. Um, great example is, uh, let's say George Lucas, right? I love those Star Wars films, uh, New Hope, uh, Empire, Return of the Jedi. There are people who love the prequels, um, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, but who hate the old films because they think those are boring. Mm-hmm. Those are shit. Um, I personally think those fucking prequels are shit, but that's for like that's another time for uh, that's a time for, sorry that's a discussion for another time. Um, but so yeah, it, it goes with different generations. It goes with everything like that. But when you're on a massive scale like that, when you're when you're such a voice in film and you say that, you kind of set yourself up to be hit. Um, I don't think the flack that he gets, like people are talking shit about Scorsese. I don't think he deserves it because Scorsese has made some of the greatest films ever. So, but at the same time, like, dude, like, why are you shitting on other people's It also breaks my heart as someone who thinks that if you don't have to be recognized to be an artist Mm -hmm. and for to have somebody who is an artist, you know, and is well recognized to say, oh, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. And so then it it almost, first of all, it invalidates Scorsese and Coppola as artists because now you just seem like corporate fucking filmmakers now. Yeah. Who don't understand art. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're not willing to subject yourself to see the the perspective of what people are getting about. Exactly. And then there are people who look up to the writers and the directors of the Marvel films Mm. um, because it's personal to them and they, you know, so now you have these people who are like film gods saying, no, that's shit. So that person who likes those films must also be shit. Yeah. And he doesn't, I mean, I don't know. He doesn't know. Nobody knows, but like these Marvel movies might be fact, might be really affecting our uh, future filmmakers in a very positive way you know uh there are people who watch star wars and was like i'm i want to get into film mm-hmm. and some people don't call star wars cinema or back then they didn't call star wars cinema right but they are filmmakers um guardians of the galaxy has james gunn's guardians of the galaxy has star wars a uh, star wars flair to it you know also like a flash gordon type thing and flash gordon is considered like a bad film but it's considered a classic now Mm-hmm. You know, so someone might have seen Endgame. They might have seen Captain Marvel. They might have seen uh, Thor Ragnarok and was like, I want to make films now. Holy shit. Right. You know, you're kind of like you're kind of also kind of shitting on future generations of filmmakers. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we went long on it. I mean, but that's kind of our take on what's been going on with the news about that thing. But, you know, whatever. You're entitled to your own opinion. It might not be the right one, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go ahead and close out the show with our geriatric cinematic of Top Secret. You know just what to do. Look, I'm not the first guy who fell in love with a girl he met in a restaurant who then turned out to be the daughter of a kidnapped scientist, only to lose her to a childhood lover who she'd last seen on a deserted island and who turned out 15 years later to be the leader of the French underground. I know it. It all sounds like some bad movie. All right, so that was Top Secret, 19... 19- 84 comedy uh, directed by Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker. These are the people behind Airplane, Naked Gun, Hot Shots, and Jerry Zucker did Ghost. Really? Ghost. <laughs> the Patrick Swayze 
Demi Moore fucking drama goes. I'll tell you right now, that's the first movie I cried at. Really? Oh, yeah. I loved that movie. When I saw that on IMDb, I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, Writers, uh, Jim Abram, David Zucker, Jerry Zucker, and Martin Burke. Um, The synopsis is a parody of World War II spy movies in which an American rock and roll singer becomes involved in a resistance plot to rescue a scientist in prison in East Germany. I'm really glad that I got to show Kelsey this film. Uh, I'm really glad that... (laughs) I love you, Takawa TT. If you're listening, and I know you are, I love you because your movie got me the opportunity to show Kelsey this movie. I would have shown it anyway, <laughs> but I want to like talk about it like on this podcast. Um, the film stars Val Kilmer. Uh, I, I believe this is his first film. Val Kilmer is Nick Rivers, uh, Lucy Guthridge as Hillary uh, as Hillary, Peter Cushion as uh, the bookstore proprietor. I want to say Peter Cushion because Peter Cushion is the admiral from Star Wars: A New Hope. <laughs> uh, and Michael Gu as uh, Doctor Paul uh, Flamman, Hillary's father. Michael Go. Michael Go. Okay. Kelsey, what did you think about this movie? <laughs> I tried. To- <laughs> All right. I love my brother, Kyle. (laughs) We almost never see eye to eye on films. I still wanted to show this one to him because I thought maybe he would love it. Mm -hmm. Even if he didn't love it, I still just wanted to watch it again and like try to make him love it. (laughs) Try to make him love it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I feel like I missed out. On this one? On that generation of film. Mm. um i mean i'm glad i saw it though yeah um it was completely up my alley with the type of humor because it was you didn't really have to think about it too much but sometimes it did make like clever connections Mm -hmm. that you would have to be smart enough to kind of make those connections yeah um that fucking cow scene was hilarious oh god (laughs) cow walking with the boots on yeah that shit is ridiculous. Yeah, this this movie is very much in the vein of airplane and naked gun and hot shots. Mm-hmm. Very slapstick, but also commenting on the slapstick comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, not like um, scary movie or not a team movie. Those movies are a little too much. This one's like subtle, but like can't go extreme when it needs to be. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, Young Frankenstein, uh, the Mel Brooks. Yeah, film. yeah. It kind of reminds me of of that. And we did watch that one together. Yeah, yeah. And I liked that one. That's a great film. Actually, I'm so pissed I actually missed out on um, got that fucking actor. Gene Wilder? Yeah. Oh, Gene Wilder's great. He's such a great I've actor. only seen him now in Young Frankenstein and... Blazing Saddle. Blazing Saddle. Oh! And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, you mean uh, Willy Wonka? Willy Wonka, yeah, yeah. Willy Wonka in the cho- in the Chocolate Factory. He that dude's a really he doesn't act anymore, but that dude's a really he was a really great comedian actor. He did this great movie with Richard Pryor. Who did? Uh, Gene Wilder. He did this movie with Richard Pryor. I think called like See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Mm-hmm. That was a really great movie. He Gene Wilder played a guy who was kind of blind, and Richard Pryor played a guy who was kind of deaf, and how they had to solve a murder. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, this film, I actually kind of like stumbled onto this film as a kid. 
it was one of those movies that came on late at night on HBO. And I remember laughing my ass off while watching this because I, I watch a lot of old Mel Brooks films. Mm-hmm. Spaceballs is probably my favorite. Still have to show me that one. <sighs> it's so great. <laughs> I mean, I know Blazing Saddles probably like his best or high or high anxiety, but man, Spaceballs is just that nostalgia feeling of it. <laughs> um, yeah, we I, I we sat down. I showed Kelsey this movie. Yo, this movie's still fucking funny. It is funny. Yeah. Even with the sexism. Mm-hmm. First of all, the only black guy in the film had the most badass fucking thing, like, the role. Most badass, yeah, badass role. The most... He was so ridiculously badass, though. Mm-hmm. It was funny, but also great. Like, yeah. And, and movies of that time... Mm-hmm sometimes would fall flat with that like black people always end up playing like the guy in the diner or the the dumb like house worker or whatever yeah. but he i feel like you want to say house nigga no no, no. i was trying, <laughs> i know you weren't gonna say it no like. i wasn't gonna say that but like you know they 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 can't do anything but like menial tasks oh yeah you know? yeah yeah and plus like or they would play they would play fodder like they would play somebody who would want who would die for I yeah, know, like you know, in scary survive. films, black guys always first one to die. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, uh, it was great to see him. Like, and he was a big, big black guy with a deep voice too. Like, yeah. he wasn't like some skinny little scrawny guy that yeah. sometimes they end up putting in films too. What was the What was his name? I don't remember. Yeah, you do. The no, black guy's name? No, I don't remember. Chocolate Moose. Oh Jesus! Yes, I remember. <laughs> Because they all had, uh, like, names, like... Um, Very French names, like poo-poo platter or something. And shit. one of them was, like, something croissant. Yeah, it was, like, really ridiculous. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, because the, when they introduced the... the uh, uh, when they introduce the rebel fighters and everything, they, they're, like, saying their name, like, Jacques Lousteau, blah, blah. He's very French. Omelette du fromage or some yeah. shit like that, right? <laughs> and then they pan to this, this like... Six foot two, muscular, badass black guy with a beard, a Tommy gun. He Bo- never puts that Tommy gun down either. Yeah, no, he put it down once and it was handed it to him. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> Always a cigar in his mouth. Yep. And they're like, chocolate mousse. And I was just like, yes, that's my nickname. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I sat you down and, 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 showed you this movie i honestly thought that like you might not like it because it was like a little too ridiculous or maybe too old yeah or too old um yeah but like you were you were cracking up from like the jump when they were like doing the the skeet surf uh skeet surfing yeah I, well okay so i know sometimes we don't see eye to eye on this like mm. there are times where like i'm like i don't want to go to a movie by myself and it's not because I can't do things on my own, mm. but I don't feel like movies are meant to be seen on their own and that's it. That's the end of it. Like, mm. I feel like what makes movies great to me is when I get to watch it with somebody and then we get to talk about it later. Yeah. And so I don't want to watch something and then miss the point of it because now I'm like, like, I don't, I don't have that energy mm. of seeing it with somebody. Yeah, because you kind of like bounce, you can kind of bounce back and forth. And you kind of get the environment, you know, like like we we're talking about the cinema experience. It's good to watch a comedy in a crowded room. Like what Hot American Summer? You had me watch that, and I was watching it with you, and it was funny. And I tried watching more of it on my own, and mm. I didn't like it because 
I just need someone there to be laughing with them and like pointing at shit mm. or I'm just losing interest. Cause I'm like, whatever. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like this film, I think, and everybody's different, but I feel like if you can watch it with somebody mm. and like have a good time, like we weren't drinking or anything, but like sit down and have a couple of drinks and like fucking, Oh yeah. Like, Absorb the ridiculousness. Of yeah, the movie. like don't take it seriously and just fucking laugh it out. It is the, one of the best films I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, what it? Okay, so I mean, other than like, okay, so we kind of just talking about it all over the place. But what do you think about? Uh, what do you think of some of the acting? I know some of the acting is not really spot on or really great, but it's something to okay. really mention. So, uh, Hillary Flamond, right? <laughs> Go on. I remember what you said. Yes. Go on, please. The girl who plays her, Lucy Gutteridge, Mm -hmm. her voice, like, okay, so what I ended up telling you Mm -hmm. was that she was really pretty Mm -hmm. and, and like, perfect for the role until she started talking. Yeah, her voice is very... It's weird. Like, nasally or very, like... Hey guys, you know, like oh Val Kilmer, you love me, like kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, it, it was weird. It it didn't sound like a normal person would be speaking. Mm-hmm. So it was a little distracting. You did get used to it throughout the film, so it wasn't that distracting. But in the beginning, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with her? <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I, I've, oh. al- I've always. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, I was just thinking of two things. First of all, uh, Val Kilmer, I don't remember seeing him so young, right? So he, with his little baby face and his, like, soft voice, Mm -hmm. it was funny to see him like that. What did you say about Val Kilmer? (laughs) I thought he was, I couldn't remember, but I, that I thought maybe he was, like, I always get him confused with Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. And, and who else? <laughs> Kevin Costner. <laughs> Let me just tell you what happened, folks, while we were watching this. To give a little bit of detail. She was like, oh, Val Kilmer. Yeah, I remember I saw him in this one movie. And she's describing the movie. I'm like, are you talking about that movie with Kevin Costner? And she goes, yeah. Oh, that's not the same guy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so then you mix up with Kevin Costner and you're just like, and I, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you said like, oh yeah, he was also in this other movie. I was like, Christian Slater? Yeah. <laughs> Just like you confused him. You have been watching for like 15 minutes and you thought he was like two completely different actors. <laughs> so I bad. thought he was three different people. Yeah. And then you even brought up Cars. Yeah, the Cars <laughs> incident, how you thought Cars 2 was Iron Man 2 because yeah. of a fucking racetrack scene. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. I I one thing I one thing I the the comedy is pretty dated, um, and I and I think that one so about two things on that one is I think it's on purpose because it's making fun of these old World War II films, mm-hmm. um, like the uh, the Great Escape that like those type of World War II films right mm-hmm. Patton or some shit like that. Um, I think they also were kind of making fun of maybe like Gilligan's Island a little bit. Right. Oh, oh, you talking about because the 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 island scene? Yeah. No, that's making fun of Blue Lagoon. There's that's a there's a movie where a woman is uh two kids are, st- are stuck on an island and they grow up. I think it's called like the Blue Lagoon or something like. Uh Brooke Shields is in that movie. Oh, okay. That's what they're making fun of. Yeah. But it's like similar thing like Yeah. There were lots of like castaway stranded type films and Yeah. 
things back then too yeah yeah and it's making fun out of that so they kind of had to put it in there a little bit yeah um i like how i and i I said this earlier but go a little bit more into it i like how the actors when something ridiculous happened they noticed it Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a something happened and it was just like oh whatever i didn't see it like they were just like what the fuck was that (laughs) all that kind of shit um one of one of the running gags that uh, I thought it was really great was when they would find where um, that wounded soldier uh, Pierre, I think. Yeah, they'd be like Pierre, and he like show up. He would like be off off camera, yeah. and then he'd like fall all dramatically in, yeah. into the scene. Like, oh my god, like this is what's happening. Yeah, and it, he did it like three times. Like, yeah, he got like a, fr- a, f- a flesh uh, a fresh wound every time before it happened. <laughs> Um, there's even a part near the end where he's like, where like someone else gets shot. He's like, ah, oh, but he's like, oh, Pierre. And that Pierre like pushes him down with his foot. And he's like, oh, no, it's my time. I'm the dramatic one. <laughs> um, one, one thing that still cracks me up about this movie. It's so fucking stupid. It's so fucking stupid. Where like, and you see in the trailer where, um, the rebels are fighting against the Nazis and like a Nazi throws a grenade into the house and the dude's like grenade and someone like dives on it mm-hmm. and instead of like it blowing him up it blows up everybody else oh, around Val Kilmer jumped onto it no it wasn't Val Kilmer it was like it was that short guy oh oh yeah, yeah yeah and instead of like him being blown up which he was trying to stop it from blowing up everybody else it still blew up everybody else anyway <laughs> yeah and, and not was, him yeah and it was just like and they they done so comically they like fired in the sky like during that scene, my favorite thing was when they were busting out all the windows to take a good shot outside. <laughs> how, like, seriously, how can, it is great though, but how can you, how the hell can you come up with like busting a window joke like three separate times? No, they did it for like a while. It was like 30 different windows. Yeah. And they would have like a perfect circle or like. Yeah, he's playing tic-tac-toe. Yeah, playing one. tic-tac-toe. <laughs> yeah, and then one dude was like, there all the windows were busted. There's that one window busted. He was like, oh, I'll bust this window. Yeah. And then one dude couldn't bust the window because it was like impenetrable and shit, and it like broke his gun. Yeah, that was so stupid. <laughs> um, uh, one thing. Oh, what was the one thing I had to mention about it was, oh, this is what I want to talk about, uh, and, and it's, it's a bit of trivia. The movie is so clever when it comes to like hidden jokes they actually put joke hidden jokes into it into like um into like the german language right so i looked at imdb and you know we don't know if this is like 100 accurate but there's one part where you see um there's a part where like they're on the train at the beginning and there's a station there and they stop at this train station and they're they're asked the characters are asked for their papers and then they take off but you think the train is moving, but it's actually the station itself moving. And it's kind of like a what the fuck moment. Oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. And it actually says, the train on the rail truck three surprised us all. <laughs> that was actually like translated like on the board of the train station. <laughs> um, another point was um, the waiter who asked if Nick, uh, Nick Rivers, which is Val Kilmer's character, is ready to order uh, obscenely in German is actually using Yiddish, Yiddish curse for go take a shit in the ocean. <laughs> Um. Uh. Okay. 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 All right. So, what's the? Let me look for one that's really good. Okay. So one is, um, 
when the German officers pick up the giant phone and there's a scene where he picks up a giant phone and he hears it, you hear like words in Germany and it actually translates like, they are already gone, you stupid asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so it's stuff like that that they sprinkle. Um, it's stuff like that that they sprinkle through uh, the movie, uh, like hit, like German words and stuff like that and it's translated. And it's like, really, it actually kind of like says what happens in the scene. Oh, there. okay. So the hotel name... Mm. Which is funny because to us, it looked like gay schluffen. Like mm. they were, I don't know, saying something about gay people or something, trying to make like yeah, more comedy a gay with joke it. Or something, yeah. Um, which I was actually misreading it and say shuffling. Mm-hmm. But um, it's actually a real Yiddish term, which means go to sleep. Yeah. yeah. Like, like this obvious shit like that, like go to sleep. Like it's yeah. a hotel. You go what? to sleep. Yeah, you go to sleep. <laughs> Um. All right, this is. I thought this was hilarious. So there's a scene where Nick Rivers is in is in jail, and you think he's gonna get electrocuted, and he doesn't. It's a priest who gets electrocuted, <laughs> but he's like speaking in Latin, pig Latin. No, he's speaking, and he's actually starts off in Latin, but then he'll start saying random Latin phrases that everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, like carpe diem and all these different things. <laughs> yeah. Um, until he finally gets into uh, where he says the pig Latin, like Urie, Oinge, Ute, Edge, yeah, whatever. Yeah, pig Latin. So, which basically is you're going to get fried in the chair. Yeah, and he gets fried in the chair. <laughs> so stupid. It's so great. Um, oh, one thing I want I want to bring up to you, and you were you were kind of you were I don't know if you're weird out, but you're kind of interested in this scene. It's the bookstore scene mm-hmm. where. Um, they're, it seems like they're talking in code or like some weird language. Uh-huh. And you're like, what the fuck? Oh, and then I was like, oh, they're moving backwards. Yeah. So, sorry about that. So what happened was the film is actually played backwards. Um, and it gave the dialogue that unique sound. Um, so what happened is like, yeah, the subtitles that show up in the film is if you play it forward it actually shows up just like that Mm -hmm. so and also if it goes forward or backwards the timing is just the same like it has not changed at all Hmm. um but yeah because it's pretty weird because like a point there are points where like nick rivers throws the book in the bookshelves and it looks like odd right yeah so i guess they, they 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 were able just to play it backwards instead of forwards and it gave it like that weird effect yeah which they don't really explain why that happened in the movie. It was it, just one of those things that it was weird, so let's just do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Valcoma's uh, first film. Um, it was the film's first. Oh, Bill Kimmer actually sang the songs in the movie. That was actually him singing. Really? Yeah. Uh, the songs that Bill Kimmer sings in the film are actually performed by Kilmer himself and were featured on the film's soundtrack released in 1984 under Kilmer's character's name, Nick Rivers. So out there, there's an actual like Nick Rivers album yeah. with Val Kimmer on it. I actually heard he's actually not a bad singer. Um, you, I was trying to read something about. Uh, so you had some trivia on here, and mm-hmm. you were talking about the backwards. Yeah. Did you say about the five quaaludes a day? No, no. What? 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 So okay. So this trivia said the scene where Hillary and Nick go into the Swedish bookstore was staged, shot, and then run backwards to make the dialogue sound unique. Mm-hmm. If you record the scene and play it backwards, 
you, you will find all of the dialogue to be exactly what is shown in the subtitles, except for the title of the book Hillary asked for. The title she actually asked for is Europe on Five Quaaludes a Day. Five Quaaludes a Day. I would like to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to read that book. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, film, the film doesn't really go all over. It's actually like a, a clear, cohesive narrative. Um, oh, that's what I want to talk about, and I even put it in here. So, the scientist who played the father, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, the scientist who played the father, the guy who played the scientist's father, Michael Guh, Guh? Go. Go. He would later on play uh, Alfred Pennyworth in Batman with mm-hmm. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Batman Returns, Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Batman Forever with Val Kilmer. <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh shit, I forgot Penny fucking Alfred's in this movie." Yeah, and that's totally awesome. Like, so they 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 play they play uh, next to each other in this one, and then we'll play together again like twenty years later. I feel like there was something that you were really really wanting me to know about the film, but you were like, "Oh, it's really funny," but I'll wait until we record the ghost part. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought was funny. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and the fact that Alfred Pennyworth is in here. <laughs> I recognized him too. Yeah, yeah. He has a I think I said something about it. I don't remember if you did, but if you did, whatever. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, so um you have you wanna anything else to the film or Um, if you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it with somebody. Yeah. I mean if you like airplane, if you like those naked gun films, if this is right you up your alley. Watched it. Show it to somebody else. It is your duty as an American. Mm-hmm. To help fight the Nazis. Yes. Talk about TT's fighting Nazis by making films. Do your part by showing this film. Yeah. Show it to Nazis. See what they think about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's going to be it for our episode of this week. It was kind of a long one, but, you know, we had a lot to talk about. And we hope you guys. And plus, we had to make up for last week. Yeah, definitely had to make up. You know, we should do a three-hour episode. No. No. <laughs> Fuck that. I barely like doing two hours. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you want to drop us a line, you can find it on our Facebook page. You know, Just make sure the hook doesn't have barbs on it. But um, I don't get it. Drop a line like you're oh, fishing. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, find us on all the social media platforms. Email, email us at therealappeal at gmail.com. Um, our uh, intro and outro is done by uh, Lilu Allen. You can check out his stuff, uh, his band, at electricwest.com. Um, I think they just recently had a show. They recently had a show, and then he said he, their band has a big announcement. Mm-hmm. And I think they have another show coming up, but he couldn't give details about it yet. Oh, okay. But I want to go. Yeah, I want to check out his music. He uh, said it probably will, you know, won't be... During the weekend again, because it never is. Oh, God. Because we're old. We we have to work. Yeah, we have to work. And we have kids. And we have, you know, responsibilities. Yeah. You have a cat. I have a cat. My, my kitty. Poor kitty. <laughs> um, we can uh, definitely tell you what we will be talking about on our next episode. Uh, it will be on... Well, our recent reveal... Or something. Our recent review will be on Eddie Murphy's, uh, some call his comeback movie, uh, Dolomite Is My Name, the Netflix uh, produced film. 
And that will be our recent review. And our geriatric cinematic will be the classic 1975 black exploitation crime film, Dolomite. Yeah. Um, can't wait to show Kelsey this one because now I'm really going to start introducing her into like black exploitation. I know. And you, and you did start showing me like Kofi. Yeah, I showed you Kofi. We met uh, Fred Williamson a couple of weeks ago who was in Black Caesar and a lot of other mm-hmm. black exploitation films. Um, but yeah, we'll show you. I'll show you Dolomite. Uh, I, from what I from what I remember, it does not hold up well. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a black the black exploitation era. It's cheap. It's cheap filmmaking, but it's funny to laugh at now. But understand that like this was something that black people had to work with. Yeah. So there is a form of like artistry behind it, like uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Revenge. That's a great film by uh, Marv, Melvin Pan, Van Peoples. Um, yeah. So next week. Uh, you can expect a brand new episode. Like I said, we're going to be reviewing uh, Dolomite is my name. And our Jerry Cinematic will be Dolomite. Yes. Other than that, uh, that it? I think we're done? Yep. All right, everybody. So we want to bid you adieu. Adieu. I do bid you adieu. Adieu, I bid you adieu. We love you. Mark does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>